This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Blog Talk Radio. Chatter. This your boy Just Ray. Um, today we got a special guest, the awesome Chef Jean Marie. Uh, hello, Chef Jean Marie. How are you doing today? I am great. Hello, hello. Uh, can you tell our audience like who you are and what you have done? Maybe like go through a short list of your resume. So before we get into the phone call and the chat. I started in the Caribbean, lived there until I was about 11, moved to France as a teenager, and then um, didn't get a chance to go to culinary school there, but got a lot of influence from from the French. Moved to New York when I was a teenager, went to culinary school at CIA, Culinary Institute of America, uh, in Hyde Park, New York, and then um, I worked in New York City with people, you know, mm-hmm. and um, eventually worked at the open one of the first uh, W Hotel there, then moved around, okay. eventually moved to L.A. and made my way out to uh, Los Angeles in uh, 2002, so I've been here since then. Oh, all right. Uh, with all your extensive knowledge, have you ever got to teach? To teach, yeah, I've been teaching in LA since 2002 until uh, about last year, so almost 18, 18, 19 years. Oh, okay. Um, well, are you familiar with the in North Hollywood? Yeah, I worked there for six years. In oh, okay. Last year, in March. Oh no. What are how are your feelings about that? As an instructor, I said, what are your feelings towards that as an instructor? Um, The the feelings about the fact that it closed? Yeah, the closing, yeah. Or during the time of the closing. Like, did you know, like, ahead of time? It's an industry-wide issue. It wasn't the only location that closed. I mean, nationwide, there was a number of school bachelors. So it, it, the, the cooking school industry is very, uh, very interesting because it doesn't work. It doesn't work properly with the economy. So it, it wasn't a surprise. 
So when you say that it doesn't work with the economy, like what do you mean? Like as far as like the, the attrition rate or how you go into instruction expecting a job coming out, like what, where do you see the failure point is? Um, like back in 2008 when there was some uh, big loans problem and mortgage issues in the U.S. and the economy was down and and it was terrible actually. Uh, the colonial school were doing great and and student population was up. So somewhere between poor economy that pushes people to go back to school. So cooking is one of the easy way out to get a two year uh, certificate, a non degree where you can get back and get a job without honestly working too hard and making some money right away. So, But then when the economy was back up in 2011 and 12, the, the numbers um, started to drop. We're losing students right and left, and the economy was great. So somehow when the economy is great, students are able to have one, two jobs, and they have access to cash, and they don't need education that much anymore. So that's what I mean by there's an inverse reaction to the economy and economy school. Oh, okay. All right. So when you so when you were giving instruction to your students, like like what did you like see as far as like a common trend as far as like learning or like transferring over to a job? Like was it very was it an easy transition for them or was it just straight up academia without, you know, actual working experience or was there a little what was the thing like in between that if there was something? Most students could transition between going to school and getting a job. Okay. Um, in, in in school itself, there's a good mixture of theory versus practice. They get to cook a lot, so they have the practice. Okay. Do you think do you think the same could go for like a certification program as opposed to a four year degree in in culinary or do you just is that even necessary even anymore like a two year program? That's a loaded question. Um, I don't know. If, there, there is a, there is a certification program with ACF, and that's uh-huh. probably a different question, a separate question. Um, what was your other question? Well, I mean, like, do you think that, uh, say a kid, like, he's like, I don't really know what I want to do right now, so I just want to work. Is it it better for him to go through the certification program or go through, like, a four-year degree? Um, I mean, unless he wants to go into management, or is that even necessary to go into management? Is it more about skill? It's both. When you go to an employer... They're, they're looking for practical skills. Okay. Um, if you're going to be a chef, can you cook? If you're going to be a manager, can you use a computer? So are you good with, like, Word, Excel, you know, all the different programs that allows you to manage, control, order food, plantation uh, practices, and all those types of things? So it's mm-hmm. not one or the other thing. It's both. You can't be like a hundred percent manager and know nothing about food and vice versa. So, um, so a right. four-year degree is the basis, 
And then you could say, I want to move to do other things to advance or specialize. Um, uh-huh. the certification, as you mentioned before, is completely separate. Because you can't certify if you don't have a degree. Because the question right. is, what are you certifying? Mm-hmm. What do you, so I guess like when you have uh, a degree and experience, then you could certify in various levels. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. So, okay, so speaking speaking from personal experience, like at one point in time, I've done the interviews at different culinary institutions, and they have you do the. I guess you have, what is it the um I forget what it's called. I don't know if it's a stage or what you when you cook for the chef in order to get the job. Like have you had to do those sort of things and if so, like what are the tips you would give to somebody that's looking for a job when they go into those things? Like if you have to cook, I forget what it is. Uh I don't know if it's a trial or whatever, but that's part of the interviewing process. Like what are your tips you would give to somebody so they can like be successful in that in the interview when they have to do that? Don't volunteer information that they don't ask you. I mean, just tell answer questions as frank and honest and genuinely as possible. And don't be long-winded. Otherwise, you're going to come and pressure across as okay. much as too much. And that's, that could be intimidating for some. Uh-oh. Oh, what about the actual the cooking? Because I know, like, I don't, I forget what it's called. I wish I knew the name for it. Like, they, they have you do that part. That's... That's common knowledge, the the resume and interviewing and talking part, but the cooking part, like how do you impress your chef to like get the job? Like if you want to like land the actual position. If they ask you to cook as part of your uh, recruiting or hiring process, they will yeah. have detailed. Um, oh, it's a plating. Recipes or a platform that will allow you to do that. So, a space, a time, an oven, a place to clean, a certain amount of ingredients, and where to put your stuff, and when to clean, all that kind of stuff, and when to present. Uh, a couple of dishes I had to do uh, years ago. One place asked me to make an omelet. And as silly okay. as it sounds, um, it really requires you to be um, – it shows dexterity. It, it, you, you can manage, you know, how to fold uh, an egg. You could easily mess it up by overcooking it. You could fold it the wrong way. You could season it, which is a no-no. There's so many little things that a, a basic cook would know, and if you didn't, they would just know that you're not up to choose too far with simple tasks. Okay. And what about if you have to, like, freestyle it? Like, they just say, cook me something just to see if you can cook. What should you do? To like impress them. Uh, freestyle. I, I've had to freestyle before. I think you should always um, go back to the basics and show, you know, freshness, clean cuts, simple techniques, um, and, and using a, a varied, varied ingredients. So you look like you know seasonality and, and ingredients, things like that. Okay. All right. So 
now, I mean, we kind of got into the like the the business side and like being working. So, how do you feel things are like now with COVID? Have things like really changed for you? Or is there any like major difference like besides like having to wear like you know safety equipment? Like what what do you feel is the difference now? Is it harder? Is it easier? Is it what like what is your take on it? I'm not sure what the question is. Sorry. Well, I mean, no, no, no problem. So, like, as far as, like, working during COVID, like, is it a little bit harder now working, like, you know, working in a kitchen? Is what is it more demanding? Like, what do you – what are your thoughts on it? And what are, like, pra- common practices that you have seen or not seeing during, you know, working during COVID? So, yeah, I mean, Absolutely. Um, it, it's so much harder to to be uh, tactile with an ingredient that requires an ingredient like food that requires you to to do more than look at it. You have to you have to taste it and, and measure it and taste it again and, and, and correct the seasoning by more standard recipes to make sure you're approaching. The, the way you season the food so it's presentable and it tastes good when it's done. But, you know, with COVID, you have your gloves on, hopefully you have your mask on, so you can't taste the food with the mask on, so you're going to have to take your mask off. Um, you can't put your finger in it, so you need to have, right? you need to have a certain degree of, you couldn't put your finger in it before. But the point is now you have to be that much more careful of approaching that food because you're going to have to taste your mask about two or three times just to take that one piece of food just to make sure it mm-hmm. tastes good. So you, you, have to, you do have to take extra precautions for the same recipes. So is it – so now, I mean, they've just shut down, like, restaurants again, I think, in rest, in L.A. So what is it look? what was it looking like prior to, like, the shutdown as far as, like, spacing, being outdoors or indoors? Uh, what have you seen, like, as far as, like, the trend, and what what would you recommend for diners when they come into those type of restaurants? Well, right now people shouldn't be going to restaurants because the government shut it down, period. But if they were right. to go in restaurants, um, they should be so careful as to stay at their tables, not not go to other table or friends or people they know and chat with them. And you, you know, whatever the rule is, six foot and six people per table and, and, and those type of things, they should follow that by like a religion, but I think they should just stay home to be honest with you. Okay. <laughs> just stay at home. <laughs> okay. So with, with the staying at home thing, like as far as like, staples for somebody at home like what what would you recommend like i mean because you know i've been out there i'm pretty sure you've been out grocery shopping like what are some like common staples you would recommend people like grab on their shelves or uncommon staples rather what would you recommend people like grab and keep in their pantry so they don't have to like just keep um, making a bunch of trips and stuff i would say uh Probably some really good, good carbs, carbohydrates, 
uh-huh. and um, some non-animal protein, like grains, like okay. beans, uh, chickpeas, lentils, um, flax seeds, uh, canned, canned foods. It's people kind of uh, shy about canned food. Um, I would get like sardines. I get anchovies. I would get. Um, I wouldn't get them in oil. I would get them in water. Uh, I would get nuts, legumes, nut butters, seeds, spices. You know, things to make your food taste good. Just because you're home doesn't mean your food needs to be bland. So yeah. Right. So you're just like just cooking food for the heck of it, and you're just like, ugh. What am I eating? <laughs> yeah, I would get almonds, almond flowers, flax seeds, those type of things. Okay. And what about the oils? Like, I, you know, there's this thing about, like, oils going rancid and blah, 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 blah. Like, is there a recommended type of oil that you would recommend people keeping on their shelves, like, during these times for long, extended periods of time? Oils uh, don't go any more rancid now than before COVID. So, you know, nothing has changed in terms of oil. Okay. Before that, olive oil was good. So that means olive oil is still good. Uh, Grapeseed oil. um, If if going rancid is really a concern, people should put their oil in either uh, 50 to 70 degrees uh, humidity in their pantry. Um, or put them in the dark or green bottle, or worse, put them in the fridge. It might become hard or solidified a little bit, but it's not going to go bad at cold temperatures. And if the oil is hard, um, you should leave it out maybe an hour, and it'll come back to liquid state. Uh, I mean, pretty fast. So it's a good way to preserve it. What do you? Well, I mean, so we have the oil. So what about, like, I heard, like, people doing meal prepping, too. Like, what do you think of that? Like, do you, is there a better recommendation for meal prepping so that, you know, on those days that people don't feel like cooking, like, how should they make their meal preps? How should people make meal preps for customers or how people should yeah. make meal preps for themselves? For home, like, you know, for family or if you're just like a – single dude or lady and you're at home and you're just like, oh, I don't feel like cooking. Like, what what kind of things should they make or how do you think they should do meal prepping? Uh, meal prepping, um, if they're not used to cooking and doing dishes and getting their hands dirty, I mean, I would probably stick to one pot dish, casserole, stews, mm-hmm. um, baked Big in dishes that has, um, you know, all the nutrients in it, like lasagna. You have your meat sauce, you have your pasta, the lasagna sheets, and hopefully you have some vegetables in there, aside from tomato mm. sauce. And, you know, some kind of ragu with beans uh, and kale and, and, and lemon and those type of things uh, to move away from the meat. And that could be a vegetable ragu. So it doesn't have to be, you know, meatballs, spaghetti, and then sauce to make it a square meal. But you could have everything in the same pot and cook that once for 
weekdays and eat that two, three times and make two dishes on uh, days off, whatever that, whatever day that could be. And then uh, uh-huh. eat that all week, much cheaper. And it's much healthier too. Ah, uh, okay. All right. So um, what about like people like that have like certain diets or whatever, like the vegans and whatever, like, is there anything like a, a silver lining kind of like thing that they can like eat or whatever so they can sustain themselves with the proper nutrition so they're not like falling out like in their house and then, you know, and it's not necessarily COVID. It's just, they're just not eating right. Um, they should probably, if they, if they were vegan before COVID, they have their ways to get around eating uh, beans and almonds and alfalfa and black seeds and blue-green algae like spirulina and mm-hmm. um, various kinds of legumes and nuts and grass and seeds that will sustain it, like hemp seeds and sesame and flax seeds that will sustain them, you know, with their protein counts and their B12 so that they don't have to change what they were doing before COVID. Okay. Have you so there's been a, a rumor around about like a, there being like a food shortage. Have you heard anything about this? Any thoughts? I, I have. I just happen not to believe in it. You don't believe in it. What? what why the non-belief? Well, I've been on non-profit side for a while, and I've seen the amount of food that. The 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 growers, the people that produce food for America, they produce a certain amount in average. And there's a large amount of the food that they produce that's never sold because they refer to to it as ugly produce, and most people don't want to buy it. Sometimes it goes to wholesalers and it's sold at discount, and if you want to buy it by the basket. You could buy it for half the price than you would in the regular store. So, for for these produce that never see a store or a customer, a lot of it goes to waste and it's dumped right back into um, the trash or the landfill. So, um, there, there's no my my point is there's no a shortage there. There's an coverage of food that you know, to what they refer to as ugly produce that nobody is using to begin with. So it, it couldn't possibly be short. Wait, so with the ugly produce, it's more so just the aesthetic. So it's like, is there like a store? Like what, would you look up like a wholesale produce kind of place to find that kind of thing? Or because the farmer's markets are down. There's no more of that. I'm sure if you go on, on Google, like, ugly produce, it's probably going to point you to a place or a warehouse or a location where you could find crates of non-marketable produce, vegetation or that you could buy at a discount. Okay. Um, question, as far as like <clears throat> when people are like going, like say grocery stores and buying like what's, what's kind of like on the shelves, like the rare cuts of meats possibly, like is there a way that you could recommend that people could like make it so it's they're a lot easier to eat? Because a lot of people are not going to be able to get to like the chicken thighs or the chicken breast in like some of the food desert areas in varying places. 
Like, is there? How would you recommend somebody make that kind of food and make it delicious? How how would I recommend somebody to do what? I'm not sure what the question is. So like take like say like the rare cuts of like meats and stuff that you see on the shelves. Like is there like a silver lining way to make it and make it delicious? Like do I just throw some salt and pepper and water and just be like, All right, call it a day or like what what can a person do? Like if they can only get like rare cuts of meats or whatever from their butcher because they need to feed their family or they just need to eat. In terms of the way they prepare the food, uh, they, sh- they shouldn't have to do anything different than they did before. Now, if they don't have access to it, that's a different, that's a different issue. They need to maybe plan more or store it more or portion control or do what I call batch cooking. You know, if you're going to make okay. a delicious chicken breast dish, don't make one. Make I don't know two, three, five, twelve. How, how, however many your 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 space or your storage or your freezer area will allow, so that mm-hmm. you can enjoy that dish, you know, next week or weeks later, so you don't have to make it again or or, or go out of your way to shop for that chicken breast to try to make that dish again. So. Have you heard any? Are you doing any? Pickling by chance or know anything about pickling? I do know about pickling. I've heard about pickling. It's not my okay. Okay. Um, so will. therefore I don't, I don't do it that much. Oh, okay. Is do you do you have like a um do you have you wouldn't have to know like anything like something very simple to do for that. I mean, I know it's not in your wheelhouse or or what have you heard, or is it just as simple as just going to Google or is there a specific uh, site for that or whatever? There, there's a lot of like cooking websites where you could uh, look for really good brines and, and pickle recipes and they're dependable. And then when I've had to use it, um, I've used it before. So yeah. Yeah, no. So during okay during this time, like we're talking about food and stuff. So during this time, what is your go-to big batch meal that you cook for your family? Because cooking for each individual at home can be a pain. Like, what is your go-to meal, or what would you recommend for the family that everyone can enjoy? What was the question again? What is your go-to dish right now during this during this whole pandemic? Uh, I like eggplant from McDonald's. You know, um, eggplant is super uh, cheap. Uh, it's spongy, and once you peel it, I slice it one inch thick, and then I soak it in seasoned salt for about an hour. Wow! Dry, dredge it. Dredge it and then uh, pan fry, and then after that I uh, lay it in a baking dish with really good homemade or your favorite uh, jar of tomato sauce and put some parmesan and fresh basil on it. It's really good. You could add some Italian sausage and drain 
into the base of it, so it's going to give you a really spicy and smoky flavor. But you could have what? it like as a side stew, and it's really, uh, really tasty. I thought it was just eggplant parmesan, no sauces, just straight up vegetables, and more vegetables with vegetables. No, no, it's no, fine. But what I was saying is, if going back to to making like a one pot meal. And I refer to as uh, baked in dishes. Eggplant parmesan is one of those. Where if you were to add mm-hmm. meat to it, it would become like its own meal. Mm-hmm. All right. So cycling back, like you have a lot of extensive experience. Have you thought about taking it to becoming a uh, one of these, I guess, well-known chefs or famed chefs? Have you given it thought to doing that? Uh, I've, I've thought about it, but I don't anymore. Oh, what, what is there? Is there a turn off to it, or is there what? Is there? Is it? Does it? Does the thought like turn you off, or is it just like, nope, I won't do it? Uh, it doesn't turn me off. I just decided that at this point, it's not its not so much that I want to do it or I don't want to do it. I just decided that it's not that important to me for right now. Oh. What about books or anything? Uh, like book writing? Yeah, like a recipe book or just a, I don't know, a, a memoir of sorts. Um, Book writing? No, I have, I have some, a, pretty, a bunch of pretty good recipes, but no, I don't intend to. Then somebody makes me an offer I can refuse, then yeah, I'll write it. But I'm not gonna I'm not going out of my way to write a book, no. Oh, okay. Have you so is there a time what was your best experience that you had, like as a chef? Like what was what was the the best experience like as far as like when everything, the stars aligned, every like what was your best experience like when you were cooking? Or as you're cooking oh, in your career. So many. I have so okay. Many, but I'll Let's... tell you of one. I think you'll agree with me. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I cooked for the Dalai Lama um in New York City. What? The Dalai Lama in New York City. I cooked for him. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. So what happened? What did you make? How did you even get the gig? Let's start there. How did you get the gig? I worked for this chef called Michel Nichon. I think he's still around. I've seen, I've seen him doing videos last year. Mm-hmm. New York okay. City and for this uh, hotel, which was W Hotel. It was part of a restaurant called Marriott Group. There's this famous actor that backed the Marriott Group. You may have heard the name Robert De Niro. Uh-oh. Yeah, I've heard of him. I worked for those guys, and they had the influence to get this guy to come to their hotel on his way as he was coming to New York City. And they've managed to bring a few other French, fancy chefs there, and somehow they uh, got him to... Uh, for dinner, and they made a vegan meal for him, and I was one of those people that had to help um, prepare it, make it, cook it, and and watch him eat it. And he was he's vegan, by the way. So at that time, it was like one of those new things. Quite, quite right. a few years back, actually. 
So wait, did you, were you did you take part in the planning part of it, or did you just like the chef was like, we're making this, follow these instructions, and then we're gonna plate it, and he's gonna oh, yeah. put it in his face. I was I was a sous chef then. I at that point, or maybe a cook. Okay. I don't remember. Probably a sous chef, and they said we're gonna make a vegan meal. They had the whole thing planned out, and we actually executed. Uh, you know, me and a few guys executed a vegan meal for the Dalai Lama, and it was fantastic. Oh, can you can you recall, like, at all, like, maybe one or two of the dishes and what was so yummy about them? So I remember, like, a white bass with purple potato, um, which he wouldn't eat it because there was fish in it. So we made, all right. like, a, a celery broth with potato and barley and it was just like too healthy looking but he uh, <laughs> he loved it. <laughs> I don't know, is there a such thing as too healthy? <laughs> right. Does it like repel people? I don't know. Chef, is there a before we like get ready to sign off, is there is there a do you have a favorite like snack food or delight that you don't really tell people about? Like, do you have a favorite, like, sweet or dessert? A favorite sweet and dessert? Um, yeah. I, I like rum, I like rum raisin uh, rice puddings. Oh, okay. Is that, or is there something that you, like, something that you secretly crave that you, like, just get from the store? You're just like, I'm just going to grab this and no one's going to know about it. I usually end up making it because I don't find it here or, you know, something short of chocolate cake. Yeah. It's something I have <laughs> to plan for. I have to soak okay. the raisin, you know, a couple of days before I make the rice and and make the rice with condensed milk and cinnamon stick and cook it until it becomes almost, almost mushy and... Then when it's cold, then I add the uh, the rum raisin inside of it. It's quite delicious. Mm, okay. Um, w- one more thing I I I forgot to ask. Uh, gardening. People are gardening at home. Do you have recommendations on what are some key things that people should like grow, like at home, like if they're going to do their own like kind of gardening or anything? Yeah. I mean, the staples, um, herbs, they don't take that much room. Um, Tomatoes are easy to grow, but they could take a lot of room. Uh, Peppers, they grow pretty fast. Within 80 to 100 days, you'll have peppers. Um, But it's easy. It's easier said than done. Uh, if you're in uh-uh. a rural area where you have either uh, poor soil or, 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 or polluted soil, uh, poor sunlight or, or a pest problem where you may have rodents or birds and, and other unfriendlies. I call them unfriendlies. Unfriendlies? <laughs> unfriendlies, yeah. That come to visit and and shall we say partake of your grocery before you do. Um, 
that may become an issue because you won't you won't benefit from the work you put in. Let, let's let's just say you're trying to grow tomatoes. Okay. They'll take about a hundred days, eighty to a hundred days to bear some a good six four four to six ounce tomatoes. Shall we say? Okay. You, by the time they get to that size, you're gonna have a lot of visitors, so you're gonna have to, you know, protect your your garden. So you may, you, by by the time you say you want to do a garden to save a, a so-called money, you'll have to do a better job at protecting the garden than actually growing the garden. So oh. there has to be more in securing securing the area than. Than the actual produce itself. Okay, so basically, what you're saying is not just like grabbing some seeds and some soil and going for it. You have to actually like encase it, cage it, protect it, and nurture it. Yeah, nurturing. You have to water it every day. You have to you have to trim it, care for it, right? You have to look out for um and and I talked about pests. You have to look for disease. You know, you have like uh. You know those black spots. You have white flies. You have mold. You have mildew. You have all those type of things. And so if you have the time, it's probably not the thing you want to do. But if you do, it's perfectly worth it. I've grown tomatoes, and in this very small space in my backyard, and they're very delicious. And they're your own. You don't have to worry about all the other. They're yeah, my own stuff. They, they come, they come pre-season. I don't need to put any salt on them. They come like seasoned. <laughs> That's great. All right, Seth. Is there any last words you want to leave for our audience? Well, if they want uh, a chef to cook empanadas and tamales for them, you should give them my phone number. <laughs> you can give it to them now. Tell them how oh, to reach you, like on IG or on a uh, phone number or both. What do you want to do? Um, I'll 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 do it. And um, so it, 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 here we go. My number is six two six nine nine three seven five one eight. So it's six two six nine nine three seven five one eight. For empanadas, uh-huh. I'll sell a dozen empanadas for. Twenty-five bucks. If they want oh, ten, wow. it's twenty bucks. And you're dozen and for twenty-five. Are you servicing? Ten for twenty. Um, if they're local, not- like if they're in the valley, I may meet up and deliver them. I may beef, chicken, and veg. The veg have potato and peas, and curry, okay. and, and that's spicy. So wait, a, so you're um, in the valley. When we talk about the valley, you're in Southern California, primarily the Southern California area. And the San Fernando Valley area. That's like Burbank, uh, Simi Valley, Calabasas, Woodland Hills, like those and Thousand Oaks kind of area. Yeah, Burbank, yes. North Hollywood, that way, yes. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure you're getting your uh, your uh, food hustle on. <laughs> and you do private chefing, too, and you do all the stuff with the PPE and all this stuff, right, with the – Protection, mass, and all that stuff. Yeah, and if they want to do tamales, I do tamales, beef, and uh, chicken and pork. I make the chicken with the red sauce. They're $2 oh, wow. each, a dozen minimum. So 
$25 for tamales. They're delicious. I make them like a French chefs. You've never seen tamales like this. People love them. Okay, what's the turnaround on these amazing tamales? Turnaround, like how long do they need to order before? Yes. Uh-huh. If they want to order them, like frozen, uh, in the time a couple of days before, 48 hours, I'll make them. Um, or if they want them fresh, they should tell me, again, 48 hours, and and we'll figure out what you need, and I'll deliver them for them. If they are in the area, well, then it's not too far from me. Okay, so everything is 48 hours. That's pretty much the, the lowdown. Yeah. Beef. Okay. Chicken. And, uh, Molly and so and bananas. Before we go, drop your number and also your Instagram handle. Do you want people to, like, hit you up, DM you through Instagram so they can see the pictures of your delicious food? Uh, yeah, if you know how to do that for me, because I don't. Uh, but my number is 626-993-7566. Uh, we could do email too if you want. Uh, yeah, but you're you're a lot of people are using Instagrams, but your Instagram, what is it? All four flavor, all number four flavor. Yeah, that's probably the best way. It's all four flavor. Yeah, and it has pictures of the actual food and everything, and it's plated really nicely. I have to say. Yeah, they could see the. Uh, I think they see the uh, uh, empanadas on pictures. Yeah. Okay. All yep. right, Chef. So thank you for coming on. Um, maybe we'll have you on again. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. I loved it. Hopefully somebody uh, yeah. took something a positive away from this. Yeah, probably we'll come back for a revisit on diets or if there's any updates with, like, restaurants in the near future. Very well. All right. So we'll talk soon. And thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Till next time. Thank you. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VTW void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Judy was boring hello then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com it's my little escape Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.